Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I'm so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm doing a solo episode, and I'm talking all about how to support our children when they are acting with aggression or when they're being hurtful to us or to other children, because this is something that comes up so often in sessions where parents see their beautiful children and their young, beautiful babies suddenly becoming toddlers who have big feelings or older children, and often we see them acting out in these ways which of course are a clear indication to us that there's some feelings there. But because it often brings up lots of feelings for us as well, it can be a really hard one to navigate. So I thought I would devote a whole episode to talking more about this and to going through some of the things that we can do to support our children best in these times. And if you are new to the podcast, welcome. My name's Joss. I'm an aware parenting instructor and my children are 19 and 16. And I live in Australia and I love supporting people with all aspects of aware parenting. And I'm so grateful for Elisa Salter's beautiful work and for everything that I've learned from Marion Rose about aware parenting too. So welcome. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, welcome back to another episode. I so appreciate the messages that you send me and I really appreciate the fact that you're listening. So When our children are acting in aggressive and hurtful ways, it can be really some of the most difficult parenting moments that we have to face because we so want our children to be loving and kind, to be nonviolent, to be cooperative and kind to their siblings, to be gentle with the dog and all of those beautiful things that we know in our heart that that is how our children are, but we really want to see them behaving in those ways all the time, ideally. And when we see them behaving aggressively, it can be really devastating and and really upsetting for us, and we might be experiencing a lot of pain. So we might start imagining that there's something wrong with our child, or we might start thinking that maybe we've failed as parents if our children are behaving in these ways. Sometimes it's really painful to be receiving judgment and shame from other people around us. Oh my God, look at that child over there. That mother's not done a very good job, obviously. Um, And sometimes we might find ourselves criticizing ourselves and and telling ourselves like that we're, we're awful parents and that we're judging ourselves for having done something wrong. And sometimes we compare our child with other people's children and we think, well, So-and-so's child is so well-behaved all the time, and here is my child biting or hitting or throwing things. What's wrong with them? Why are they doing that? And so we often might find ourselves not feeling particularly loving towards our child and wishing that they were different. And all of these feelings are really, really painful for us. And so it's just such a godsend to have aware parenting to be able to give us these really, really beautiful ways to support our children when they're being aggressive. 
And if this is you and your child, then you're really not alone. And I think it's really interesting that our society really values still children who are extremely well behaved. Our society doesn't recognize the connection between how a child is feeling, what a child is needing, and how they're behaving. So when our children are seen in society to be acting in aggressive ways, it's not understood as being a message that they need our support. It's understood by the majority of people as a sign that they're naughty and that they need to be punished. So it's really very difficult to come with a totally different perspective to this when we are all out in the world having relationships with people who who have a very different perspective to us. So at the core of our response in aware parenting is this beautiful understanding that, of course, all children will have feelings to express at times due to the fact that no matter how well we are attuned to them and how closely we connect with them and how much we love them and try to protect them, we're not always going to be able to protect them from having difficult, stressful, traumatic experiences and to have accumulated daily stresses that our kids will inevitably face in their lives. And all of these experiences, whether these are really big traumatic experiences that we all understand as big trauma, such as a natural disaster or being in a war zone or parental separation or death of a sibling or something really, really big, or whether this is, as I said, these daily accumulated stresses that our children will face. Uh, not getting to play with the toy that they want to play with, having a child uh, respond to them harshly, having another adult respond to them harshly, having to wait when they're not really able to wait yet, having things happen that they can't make sense of and don't understand. And all of these things add up and accumulate in their bodies. And all of these experiences will cause our children to feel scared, to feel overwhelmed, to feel disempowered often, to feel confused, perhaps they might be frustrated, to feel rage, to feel all kinds of really, really big feelings in response to these experiences. So when we have this perspective and this understanding, it is much more helpful for us as parents to be able to have some capacity to listen and to understand that our children will use their powerful innate healing mechanisms to release these feelings through crying, through raging, through tantrums, and through some forms of attachment play and laughter. And when we have this understanding, it means that we can therefore be much more relaxed about the fact that our children are behaving in these ways because we have solutions to support them. And we're understanding that they are going to be able to release the accumulated stresses and, and trauma that they're holding in their body that is pushing them into this, this hyper-aroused state, and then they can return to balance again. So that's really reassuring for us. And what we can also see is, is conversely, that if children are not able to release these feelings, if they are perhaps in an environment where they don't feel the safety that they need in order to release the feelings that they've accumulated, or maybe we don't understand the purpose of their healing processes, or perhaps they are going into suppression of feelings because they haven't been able to release them and feel safe to do so. And so these feelings continue to accumulate. 
then it means that their bodies become very agitated because of the presence of these these stress hormones, these neurochemicals that are pushing them into this hyperaroused state. And this is what leads to challenging and aggressive behavior. So sometimes our own childhood feelings are coming up for us as well, and that makes it really hard for us to listen. So perhaps we're not available for our children, or maybe we're feeling really overwhelmed and exhausted because we live in nuclear families where we don't get the support that we need. And as I said, that we're living in this culture that doesn't understand or value or support parents often. And so that may be a reason why we can't listen to our children too. So again, we can understand why if our children are not getting support to release and heal from these feelings using their natural mechanisms to return to that homeostasis, as Aletha calls it, uh, then we can see why they would be behaving in these, these really challenging, aggressive ways. So whatever the reason, when our children are experiencing painful feelings and they accumulate and are repressed, so the stress is unresolved, it means, as I said, that it's stored inside the body and this causes agitation and aggression. And there are lots of ways that our children might be repressing agitation and aggressive and stressful and painful feelings in their body. And that might be through uh, zoning out with control patterns, such as sucking their thumb, being very busy and moving around, watching screens, biting their nails, picking their nose, could be any of those things. Um, but as a result of repressing these feelings, as I said, it causes this tension and this discomfort and agitation in the body and push, pushes our children into this fight-flight mode. And we know that our children are in this hyper-aroused state because we can see it from their behavior, particularly when we see them being hyperactive or aggressive. Maybe they're hitting or shouting, maybe they're throwing things, as I said, perhaps they're grabbing toys off others, maybe they're biting, maybe they're being really impulsive and uncooperative, maybe they're just being really unkind to the dog, to the pets. All of these behaviors are showing us that it's not that our child is badly behaved or doesn't understand how to behave properly, it's that our child is is in that hyper-aroused state and is is therefore really overwhelmed by, by these big feelings that they're experiencing. So as I said, yeah, it can be really hard because of this misunderstanding in our mainstream culture. And these behaviors, as Aletha describes, Aletha describes this whole process so beautifully in her new book, Healing Your Traumatized Child. And if you haven't read that, I highly recommend buying it. It's such a helpful book. And it goes into these things in a lot of detail. But she talks about these different ways that our children's behavior, which is showing us I've got unmet needs and accumulated feelings, are instead misinterpreted in our society. So as I said, yeah, often the aggression is seen as our child misbehaving, a sign that our child needs to be punished or shamed or taught that this behavior is not acceptable and that we will not tolerate it. And we see that so commonly around us, don't we? When we see parents responding to children in these ways, punishing them and and shaming them and criticizing them for behaving in these ways that are considered naughty. Another way that these behaviors are misinterpreted in our culture is that the aggression is sometimes seen as an indication that the child has bad personality traits. 
perhaps they are, we think that they're naughty or they're aggressive, just like their dad, or they're just badly behaved like their cousin or those sorts of judgments. Or at a more extreme version of that, we have a culture that is so quick to assign psychiatric diagnoses and require medication for children when they're behaving in these ways. And there are very few uh, psychiatrists and mental health professionals who who are coming from this trauma-informed lens, although that is fortunately starting to change. But it is very common for children to be assigned a diagnosis, uh, having oppositional defiance disorder, or maybe ADHD, or maybe ASD even, uh, in response to these behaviours. Whereas when we come with this trauma lens, we can see that it's just merely an expression of unresolved trauma in their bodies. And in fact, giving medication to children where it's not necessary, obviously there are times when it is necessary, but when we're medicating children and it's not necessary, we can see how incredibly hurtful and damaging that is for our kids to be having these feelings that are desperately trying to get out of their body further suppressed with with drugs and, and medications. The third way that our culture often misinterprets these behaviours is that parents are often encouraged to respond harshly with punishments, with shame. So children are are bullied, they're shouted at, they're criticised, they're hurt, they're sent to their rooms. So our children who who are experiencing really big feelings and feeling absolutely terrible in their bodies um, are made to feel worse by being isolated and sent away, adding to their their sense of disconnection and pain. Or perhaps there might be a more permissive approach from a parent who might be just ignoring the behaviour or just tolerating it, pretending it's not happening. Or they might be trying to control their children's behaviour by telling them, now be gentle, calm down, take some deep breaths, and encouraging what is often in our society called this sort of emotional regulation. And what these processes do is they might temporarily calm down our children, but because all of this stress and trauma is unresolved and remains in the body, it's going to come up another time. And so it's only a very temporary measure if it's effective at all. Whereas when we respond with an aware parenting approach, there is profound healing that is going to make big changes in their behavior really quite quickly because the feelings that are causing the behavior are no longer going to be there. That's my dog stretching in the background, if you can hear that noise. So what we can see in these misinterpretations is that they, all of these kinds of responses actually interrupt and shut down um, our child's natural biological healing processes and cause the feelings to be further repressed now. And often we've added extra shame and extra fear on top of that in how we've responded to them. Maybe even if we've said, no, you do must be gentle and being actually quite nice about it, it still might lead our child to believe that there's something wrong with them if they understand that they need to be gentle, but they're not able to be gentle in the moment. So again, that just adds extra layers of of pain on top of the feelings. So all of this just creates more discomfort, more agitation, more hyperarousal, which in, in turn leads to more aggression and more challenging behavior. So we can see why it's often really hard and that we often feel when we don't have these aware parenting tools at our disposal that we're really not getting anywhere with our children, that, we, that they are getting worse or that uh, we're just lost in how to support them. So when we bring this aware parenting lens 
we are able to bring some compassion to our children and to ourselves. And instead of judging our children or ourselves as having done something wrong, instead we bring this deep understanding that, wow, our children are really suffering at the moment and that they really need us. And we bring some understanding to ourselves too that, wow, this is a really hard process. It's so hard to support our children. It's so hard to listen to feelings when so many of our own feelings have not been heard. So again, we can offer ourselves that beautiful compassion. And from that place, we're much more likely to stay in this deep sense of connection and loving cooperation with our children. So it's much, much easier to support them. So we recognize that the behaviors are showing us that our children are in this hyper-aroused state and they need support from us. And what they need in that support is a sense of emotional safety and a sense of, of using these beautiful tools of aware parenting so that they can just return to that homeostatic balance and become their true, loving, calm, balanced selves again. And we recognize and we welcome the signs um, that they are having struggles and needing our support because we then are able to remind ourselves that our children are born knowing how to heal. These are powerful, innate healing mechanisms at their disposal. And they will do these healing behaviors spontaneously when we provide the right conditions for them to do so. So the main thing for healing to occur, the most important thing, as Aletha talks about beautifully in her books, is that we have to provide our children with this sense, as I said, of emotional safety so that healing can automatically occur. And the way that healing occurs is, is by us listening to, to our children's big feelings, their, their tears and their tantrums with our loving presence as they get to offload all of this accumulated stress and, and to release it from their bodies through their tears, through their vocalizations and shoutings and so on, through their big movements that they probably needed to use at the time of the initial trauma in order to fight or flee and couldn't do. That's why we often see in tantrums these really big movements, throwing their arms around, kicking their legs, all of those kind of things. Those are really powerful things to do in release as a way of completing the release process. So we listen with empathy and understanding as they let it all out. I'm right here, sweetheart. I see how hard it is. I'm right here. I will stay with you while you have big feelings. I'm right here to support you. I love you. We stay close while they rage and we offer them perhaps some touch. We might get down on the floor to their level. We might be making eye contact when they're looking at us. We might be reassuringly just gently touching their arm. We're letting them feel our presence uh, and that physical connection and safety. We stay connected to them while they're having the big tantrums. And yeah, we're, we're there. We're watching. We're reassuring them. We're acknowledging how hard it is and what big feelings that they're having at that time. And we can imagine when we're watching them in these big, big moment movements and these big outbursts, we can literally imagine the stress and the painful feelings coming out of their body that they don't need to hold on to anymore. They can actually release it and let it go. Sometimes they might tell us that they, they hate us or they might shout, go away, or they might be hurtful to us in, in other ways. And again, we when we can keep responding with that loving listening, it really supports them. So they might say, I hate you, 
mommy, I hate you. And we can say, oh, sweetheart, I love you so much and I'm right here. And this, again, reassures them in the moment that we really love them unconditionally, that however they're showing up, however they're behaving, it's not that we're going to accept their behavior, but we're going to love them and we're going to support them to release whatever is in the way of them coming back to balance. And that's what unconditional love really is all about. So we we need to show them that in our words, particularly if they're being uh, shouty or angry or hurtful towards us. And if we do have feelings about them speaking to us in these ways, which we often do, we can share that with our listening partner. So if our child, for example, says, I hate you, and it brings up stuff in us, it might make us think, oh, my God, what have I done wrong? My child literally hates me. Or we might think we might go into a bit of resentment and be thinking, well, oh, my God, I'm here. I'm listening to your feelings. I play with you all the time. I'm always there for you. You're getting so much more than I ever got in my childhood. And it's never enough. You hate me. And so, yeah, when we have the opportunity with some loving listening with a listening partner, an empathy buddy, or in a session with an aware parenting instructor, it really, really supports us to be able to keep coming back to responding to our children with compassion and love because we're not reacting to the pain that their behavior is, is bringing up in us. The other thing that's really, really helpful in supporting our children is laughter and play. And again, Alita has this beautiful book, Attachment Play, which goes into all of these in great detail. So I highly recommend having a read of that. We've talked about that before on the podcast. But basically, there are nine types of attachment play that she describes. And some of these beautiful forms of play are used to create emotional safety so that healing can occur for our children. And some of these forms of play were used to facilitate their healing from stress and trauma. And sometimes these forms of play do both. So we often use these forms of play in the moment when the child is being aggressive in order to support them to release the stress in healthy ways with that laughter and connection. And sometimes we use this play at other times outside of the aggression uh, to make it less likely that our children will act aggressively. But whilst the children are in the midst of these aggressive behaviors and we're listening to the feelings afterwards, we focus often on, on that listening process and we bring play to them at other times to support further healing. So there are lots of beautiful games that we can use to build connection and to encourage this sense in our children of deep emotional safety. And these games include various types of attachment play. So first of all, it might be games like body contact games, where we're offering this soft, loving touch with our children. It might be massaging them. It might be dancing together. It might be jumping around, giving them piggybacks. It might be giving them big, squeezy hugs. Uh, Lots of different ways that we might be offering physical touch to our children. One of my favorites is the one where we say, we've got this love cream and I'm going to rub this love cream into you. And we gently rub all over their bodies as we're offering them there. The amazing sensation of receiving our love in the form of this imaginary cream. Other games that are very helpful to build uh, emotional safety are cooperative games. Uh, Our society has such a strong focus on competitiveness and who can be the best, who can be the fastest, who can win, who can get the highest score. This is really just such a big part of our schools. 
and part of our culture. So when we play these cooperative games, it's a really powerful antidote to that. So it could be anything that we're doing together, mindfully, deliberately, and enjoying the sense of connection that we're getting from doing it. So it might be where we make things together. Perhaps we might be cooking with our children. Maybe we might be running around with them or dancing with them, but not racing and not not turning it into a competition. Maybe we might be jumping around on the trampoline. My kids used to love that, jumping on the trampoline. All of those sorts of things where we're just cooperating, being together and supporting each other can be really nice. Nonsense play, such as just being really silly, making mistakes, getting things wrong and just being ridiculous are really powerful to support our children to release many of these big, big feelings through laughter. And it's really lovely for our children to see us making mistakes and to take some of the charge out for them if they are tending to be a bit perfectionistic or to have big feelings when they get things wrong or when we lose or when we when we make mistakes ourselves. So and we can be really ridiculous with this and it could just be us being really silly and making silly noises or it could be us just you know get brushing their teeth and saying okay we've got to brush your teeth now and then we instead start brushing their hair anything where our children get to say no mommy don't be silly we don't do it like that can be really really helpful for them another type of game along these nonsense play games that's really helpful particularly if our children do get lots of feelings around making mistakes is to go around being really silly blaming anything in the house that it makes that doesn't quite get things right so like for example if the toaster burns the toast we can be really like oh my god the toaster is such a naughty toaster what a bad toaster it can't even cook, cook toast properly and being really silly about it and that can bring lots of laughter and and take that charge away Contingency games are another form of attachment play, which are really lovely for building that connection and safety. These might be any kind of game where our children can anticipate that they're going to get a response out of us and that they are somehow controlling our our behavior. So it might be like imitation games where we're mirroring each other. It might be games where we give our child a magic wand and they get to control us. It might be games where they have like a remote control and they get to make us go forwards or backwards. It might be a game where we're just giving them a piggyback and they get to tap our shoulder to tell us which way to go. There are lots of beautiful ways. It could be just a simple game where they touch a body part and every body part of ours makes another silly noise. But again, this gives our children a real sense of power. And often when our children are having these hyper-aroused type trauma responses, powerlessness was was a big part of that initial experience often. So games where we give them power and control are really powerful for them to to release some of the feelings and some of this uh, discomfort from their bodies. And non-directive child-centered play, also known sometimes in a term we borrow from hand in hand, special time. This play is is the central central core part of aware parenting and attachment play and it's a opportunity where we give our children regularly set periods of time where we just follow their lead where they get to choose what we do where we just offer them our presence and our connection and we follow their lead and they get our undivided attention so for the duration of the play we're not looking at our phones we're not answering the not answering the phone we're not talking to the dog, when actually just following their lead and taking time to be with them. And this, of course, we can see why this would create this beautiful sense of emotional safety and connection for them. They really feel loved and adored like we want to be with them. And often, particularly at times when 
Our children might be being agitated because there's a birth of a new sibling or something like that. It can be really helpful to say explicitly, we don't get to spend as much time together as we used to. So I would really love us to have some special time where it's just you and me and we can do whatever you want. And that just uh, supports our children to feel so loved and that we really value being with them. So as I said, there are also beautiful games in attachment play that we can use to support the release and healing of stress and trauma that is underneath their aggressive behavior. So these include in uh, non-directive child-centered play, we can bring a timer to the play and we let our child know that when we're going to play with them now for a set period of time, and then when the timer goes off, we're going to stop. And during the play, our children feel this connection to us and they feel safe and they start to release some of the feelings through laughter. And then when the timer goes off, our children will often use it as a pretext to release uh, these feelings through crying and raging and tantrums. And it allows us to then be able to move in and listen to their feelings and to offer them a loving limit and say, no, sweetheart, we're not going to play anymore. Special time's over. And uh, as Marion says, we say a no to the behavior and a yes to the feelings. So we're saying, no, sweetheart, we're not willing to play anymore today. And I'm right here and listening. And the other advantage of having a timer is that it supports us as parents to be real wholehearted in our connection and play with our children because we know it's for a finite time. None of us really have the capacity to be able to be endlessly playing with our children. And often the prospect of playing for hours and hours makes us feel exhausted and overwhelmed and wanting to not play at all. Whereas when we have a timer and we know that it's only going to be for 10 minutes, We can all find it in ourselves to really offer that presence and that connection for that short period of time. The other thing I often recommend for parents around using a timer for special time is that we look at how much time we have available that day to play and we kind of divide it in half. And so if we have half an hour available, we might offer our children 15 minutes of special time, anticipating that we're then going to have some big feelings coming up when the timer goes off and we have 15 minutes available to listen to those feelings. And so particularly if our children are being really aggressive and acting in these ways that we're finding super challenging, trying to allocate some time where it's divided between the time that we're playing and the time that we're supporting them to release feelings by offering a limit can be really, really helpful for them to be releasing the feelings that are causing the behavior. So if our children complain and get upset and start having tantrums when the when the timer goes off, that's fine. We don't have to change that. We don't have to make anything different. All we have to do is to say, I know, sweetheart, you really love special time and you want to keep playing. We're not going to play anymore. And I'm right here and listening. And again, if, if stuff is coming up for us, And sometimes we might be going into that wondering between, am I offering a limit? But what about their needs for autonomy and choice? And we might be questioning ourselves and wondering. So again, it's really helpful to come back to that. This particular thing that I'm offering my child right now is meeting their needs in this moment in the most perfect way, because it is supporting them to have a little limit to come up to after a period of connection and play to then be able to release the feelings. And I can meet their needs for choice and autonomy another time. But right in this moment, what they need most is my loving support so that they can heal and release the trauma that's sitting inside. 
Symbolic play is another type of attachment play, which can be really, really helpful for releasing stress and trauma that is behind aggression. So in symbolic play, we might introduce some toys or some themes that might help our children to play out the stressful experiences that they've had. So it might be that they've had some difficult, painful medical trauma. For example, they've had to go to the doctor and they've had to have surgery or or something which was distressing and, and frightening and upsetting for them. And so we might just sit down with our children and give them a doctor's kit and just allow them to lead the way. And again, yeah, we're following their lead. We're allowing them to to take the props that we've provided and seeing where they go with it. And we stay right by their side as, as they start to use these props in a way that supports them to release the stress. And as I often say to parents, like our children are geniuses at coming up with ways to play in a way that supports their healing. So we can really trust that if we give them these props, they will use them in the perfect way. And it may not happen straight away, but we will see this this process really powerfully supporting their healing. And the final attachment play type game that I'm going to talk about in relation to healing uh, stress and trauma that's behind aggression is power reversal games. And these are so beautiful. These are games that I absolutely love. And I have another video um, on my YouTube channel, which I haven't done very many videos on, but I have got this one on there, which talks through 25 different games that we can play, which are power reversal games. Purpose of power reversal games is that the power balance gets reversed and our children get to be the one who is strong and powerful and quick and smart and capable. And we get to be the ones who are slower, who are silly who are weaker. And so, yes, that power dynamic is is reversed. And these games also often allow our children opportunities to make big body movements, which again, as I said before, are really helpful for releasing stress and trauma. And there's also often lots of laughter in these games. Often our children think it's hilarious when we act all surprised that they've managed to push us off the bed and we're all indignant and outraged about it. How did you manage to push me off the bed again? It's so unfair. And they find that really funny and laugh a lot. So that also helps to release those feelings of disempowerment and and frustration and fear. So as I said, we can offer our children loving limits. That might be at the end of special time or that might be at other times when they are, again, behaving in a way that is showing us that they've got some feelings there. And these limits can really support our children with that balance of attention to provide the safety that they need through our loving presence and a reminder of what it is that they're wanting to keep them connected to their feelings so that they can offload them. And when we are offering these loving limits, it's really helpful to get very clear ourselves initially about if our child's behavior is indicating that there's some feelings there that they might want to express. And then asking ourselves, do we have capacity to listen to the feelings at the moment? And then just taking a moment to check in and be really clear that that's what they need and what our yeses and nos are. So if they're asking repeatedly to play on on the computer or to watch something on TV, for example, we can check in with ourselves and be thinking, oh, I'm wondering, they've been quite aggressive earlier in the day. I think there's probably some feelings there. Am I willing to listen to those now? Yeah, I think I am. Okay, am I really clear that I'm willing to offer them a a strong no about watching, watching TV now? Yeah, I am. Okay. So then we can move in and and offer the limit. And we do it with this really beautiful, loving, soft tone in our voice. And we hold this firm, clear limit. 
And yeah, as I said, in this beautiful words that Marion, who is the the aware parenting instructor who came up with this beautiful term, loving limits, we're saying no to their aggressive behavior with love. And we're welcoming the feelings that are coming out in response to the no. And we don't use words or a tone of voice that adds any kind of shame or, or judgment or punishment. So we avoid saying things like if we're if we're offering a loving limit, for example, in response to aggressive behavior in the moment, we might move in and do the minimum possible to just hold our child's hand, for example, or to hold a toy if they're about to throw it. And we don't use words like it's not okay to hit or we don't throw things in our family or those sorts of phrases which tend to add a a shame and and a judgment quality to the conversation. And if we're finding ourselves going into aggression or power over ourselves, because perhaps our behavior is, their behavior is bringing up something for us, you know, maybe they're hitting their sister and it's bringing up stuff for us around when we were hit as child, then we, we need to either come back to balance so that we can. So we might give ourselves some compassion in the moment. We might imagine ourselves talking to our listening partner later and sharing how hard it is. If we're unable to come back to that loving sense, we might tag team with a, with another partner and say, I, I can't hold this limit at the moment. Are you able to take over from here? Or we might just move the child away or move the toy away and say, I'm sorry, sweetheart, I know you've got big feelings at the moment, but I can't listen right now. But it's really important that the, the loving limit is both loving and limiting. So when when we are doing these limits with our children, it's it's really inviting them to cry and to rage and to release all the feelings that are there. And so, yeah, if if our children are hitting or lashing out, as I said, we use that minimum force required in order to gently and lovingly stop them from hitting. And we might take them away to a safe place like the bedroom and stay with them, keeping ourselves and them safe and listening to all their tears and raging. So for example, I used to find that really helpful if my my son was getting a bit aggressive towards his sister, I would pick him up and take him really lovingly into our bedroom. We had a room with lots of mattresses on the floor and there wasn't much else in there that could be distracting for him or could be something that he might want to throw or damage. And I would shut the door and I would sit inside the room with him with my back to the door. And that allowed me to contain him. Like It's almost like holding a baby. I'm still holding him, but I'm not holding him in my arms. I'm just holding him in the space. And he might often he often wanted to get out of the room. He might even have been trying to be aggressive to me. But in that space, it was really easy in that position to hold him off, to hold his arm if necessary, perhaps to have some cushions between us, but to keep us safe, to keep them safe and to keep him contained so that he can release the feelings. Because, of course, he didn't want to be acting in an aggressive way. That was big feelings that were that were causing that behavior. And often if if we don't stop our children from hitting and hurting us, again, that adds extra shame and and pain for them because they don't want to be hurting us. And they know that that it's not okay to hurt in our families. They understand that and they don't want to be doing that. So it's really for when we get in there and stop them so that they don't have to have that experience. And it's really helpful for our children to hear us using kind and loving words while we're listening to their feelings using loving limits. So we might say something like, I'm not willing for you to hit, sweetheart. I know you don't want to be hitting. So I will stay here with you and keep everybody safe till you feel better. And then we might offer the empathy 
So if it's in aggression, Marion always recommends offering the limit first and the empathy second. So the empathy might sound something like, I see how upset you are, sweetheart. I'm right here with you. And we can say as little as we need to in order to keep them in the feelings, but to keep reminding them when necessary. I know, sweetheart, you're feeling really uncomfortable and I'm not willing for you to hit and I'm right here. And of course, it's important to remember that when we're offering loving limits, we're not expecting our children to go, oh, yeah, okay, sorry, yeah, of course, I'll stop doing that now. Sorry, I didn't mean to hit you. We're expecting there to be a big, noisy, messy response to those words. And we reassure ourselves that it's through that messy process that they're going to release the feelings and then be returning to their balanced, loving selves. And yeah, it's really helpful for us to reassure our children in these moments that we know that they're loving and caring, uh, beautiful humans, and that we know that it's painful feelings that are causing them to lash out and be hurtful. And uh, Pamela has a book, Connection Parenting, that I really love. It's not exactly the same as Aware Parenting, but it's quite similar. And she has this beautiful phrase where she says, a hurtful child is a hurt-filled... <laughs> Sorry, let me try that again. A hurtful child is a hurtful child. And so it's really important that we let our children know that we love them regardless of how they're behaving. And we see that it's painful feelings that are making them act in aggressive ways. And as Alisa says in her book, Cooperative and Connected, children need the love most and the attention most when they act in the ways that are least deserving of it. And sometimes reminding ourselves of this can be really helpful in the moment if we're feeling a bit overwhelmed by it all. So whether it's listening to feelings or offering attachment play or loving limits, or you most usually a combination of all of these things, what we're doing is supporting our children to feel safe enough to release the feelings rather than acting them out and being hurtful and aggressive to others. And in her book, Healing Your Traumatized Child, Elisa describes that when we're supporting our children in these ways, we are allowing them to complete the natural biological recovery processes so that they can come out of hyperarousal and return to balance. So all of this is pretty tricky, but we, again, I'll be talking later on as well about getting support for ourselves. Uh, another important aspect of aware parenting, of course, is not having punishments in our family. And if we punish a child who's being aggressive, as I said before, it really doesn't help them because not only is it not dealing with the cause of the behavior, it's also detrimental to our relationship with our child. And it causes children to feel that our love is conditional or dependent on them being good. And so it removes that emotional safety that is so vital for our children to heal from stress and trauma. So we cannot make our children behave better in the long run by making them feel worse. So it's really important to, if we have been using punishments in our family, to, to stop doing that and to find other ways and to get support to, to find other ways. I have another podcast about not using punishments and rewards and what we can do instead. But um, our child cannot feel safe to release and heal from stress and trauma if they are also experiencing punishments from us. So as a result of being supported in these ways to use these innate healing processes, our children's behavior will be calmer. The aggression will gradually stop. They will return to feeling balanced. They will cooperate. They will sleep better. They can sit still. They can concentrate. And we will notice that they have so many fewer accumulated feelings in their bodies. They'll have less need to repress these feelings. And as a result, yeah, they'll be gentle and loving towards us, towards their siblings, towards their friends, towards our pets, towards everybody. But 
Of course, as I said, yeah, in order for us to support our children in these ways, we really do need to be receiving listening and support ourselves. And ideally, that needs to be from somebody who really understands this approach. We need to be recognizing that when our needs are not being met, we have to take small steps to meet those needs. We need to help um, help from others to explore and to, to share what's coming up for us, what we're making it mean. So maybe that could be in the form of a listening partner, or as I said, a session with an aware parenting instructor. But let's explore, you know, what, what are we telling ourselves uh, when our child is being aggressive? As I said at the beginning, are we telling ourselves that, oh my God, our child is going to be violent and aggressive as an adult and they're out of control and, and this is this is awful. It's the worst possible thing. Or, yeah, are we comparing our child to other people's children who are raised in a more traditional way and are having to behave in order to be receiving love? And then we are comparing our children and, and perhaps thinking thinking harsh things about them because they're behaving in these ways. Uh, maybe we are judging ourselves and, and going into that. We've done it all wrong. We're a terrible parent. This is awful. We've made such mistakes. We're not aware parenting properly. We're not even aware parenting at all. All of these things. And it's really, really helpful to be able to explore these things in, in safe spaces, to be able to get really, really clear about what we truly believe. Maybe we're telling ourselves children should be seen. Children shouldn't behave in these ways. Maybe we're telling ourselves those sorts of things too. And so again, having the opportunity to unpack those beliefs. Is that is that really what we think? Do we really think that if our children are behaving like this, it's because they're naughty or they're bad or because we failed? Or are we instead able to decondition ourselves from some of those beliefs and to take on new beliefs that serve us much better? So it might be this understanding from an aware parenting perspective that, oh, no, actually what we can see when our children are behaving like this is, is that they're in hyper arousal, they're struggling, they're feeling challenged, they're having a hard time. And from that space, it's so much easier to be compassionate and supportive for them. Whereas when we go into this judgment or this shame of ourselves or this fear and doubt and worry about their behavior, it's really hard to stay connected in a way that supports them. We might need help, as I said, to recognize when our needs are not being met. And so many of us as parents raising our children in these in our nuclear families away from the the tribe the community that we evolved to live with so that we could thrive we're all going to have unmet needs and just bringing our awareness to the fact that we do have some unmet needs is a really good place to start and then exploring are there some ways we might be able to meet them and it's much easier for me now because my children are teenagers to be able to be taking steps to meet my needs. And when you're in the midst of it with a one-year-old and a three-year-old, it can be really, really hard. How are you going to find any time or space to meet your needs? But giving ourselves uh, some understanding around our needs not being met and taking small steps to find small ways to meet our needs is really significant. So even if that's just once a week, having a having a beautiful candlelit bath while somebody else looks after our child, maybe that's once a month having a massage where, while the child goes to grandma's or another friend. Maybe that's just when our child goes to sleep instead of going straight on our phones or, or watching 200 episodes on Netflix. We just make ourselves a beautiful cup of tea and go and sit down somewhere and look at the stars. And again, like giving ourselves lots of love with all the big feelings that are coming up for us. And if we are needing our control patterns, which we all do at times, then that's also okay. We can offer ourselves compassion around that too. 
And the last thing that we really need support with is to unpack our our painful feelings and our unhealed repressed trauma that is often touched when our children behave in ways that we find super challenging. And this unhealed repressed trauma of ours makes it really hard to support our children in these ways. So again, we need support to do our healing work. What's coming up for us? What, what were our experiences? What are our memories around having big, big feelings as a child? How were we responded to? What do we remember about those intense feelings of powerlessness and frustration? What happened in terms of aggression for us? Did we receive aggression? Did we perpetrate aggression on others? And how were we responded to in those times? What did we really need in those times instead? And exploring all of that with with curiosity and with compassion can be really, really helpful. And again, having these, these, these beautiful moments where we get to imagine things being differently. So perhaps we might be going into our younger parts and, and offering those, those experiences from our childhood and, and us in that time, some, some love and some connection and the opportunity to imagine how things might have been different. And I recently did a really beautiful experiential psychotherapy training course. And one of the things that the woman said on there was that we really only need 20 seconds of a different experience for it to start creating new neural networks and new pathways in our brain, which can support those spontaneous uh, reactive responses to become less and less loud in our head and instead for us to, to have new ways of of responding and reacting. And I found that really, really powerful. And she also talked about, again, how we don't necessarily need things to be different. And often we can't go back and, and make things different in our unhealed trauma. But even just imagining a different scenario, a different situation, a different way of being responded to can be powerfully healing. So I really invite you, if you're challenged by this, if you're finding things hard with your child and you're facing this kind of aggressive behavior, to reach out for some support. There are lots of beautiful aware parenting instructors who who can guide you with this sort of stuff and to help you to support your child at the same time. So thank you for listening. And as I said, I'm so grateful for you who have sent out messages to me and enjoyed the podcast. And if there's anything that you'd like me to speak about or anybody you would like me to speak to, then please let me know. I am continuing to do lots of interviews with lots of beautiful aware parenting instructors and other people who are passionate about parenting. I'd love to speak to every aware parenting instructor in the world, if possible, on this podcast. And if you're really passionate about aware parenting and you've been practicing it in your family, would you like to come on the podcast and have a chat to me? I would love that. So please reach out and let me know. And what I'd love to leave you with again here at the end is this sense that when our children are behaving in ways that are aggressive, that are very challenging and difficult for us, it's an invitation for us to look underneath that behavior to see what's there, what's causing it, and to remind ourselves it's not that our children are bad or naughty. It's that they have strong, strong feelings and are going into that hyper-aroused response and they need our support. Sending you all so much love. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. 
I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.